So yesterday was a slow trading day due to the US bank holiday, but the things will spice up from now to the end of this week with the FOMC minutes and the US jobs data that are due between today and Friday. Now, obviously, there is not much potential left for the Federal Reserve hawks from the actual level, so we could see some rotation to a more dovish place, but you never know. So welcome. This is Swiss Coast Daily Market Talk. So yes, yesterday was a slow trading day as the US was off to their Independence Day holiday. So we took the opportunity to shoot our next quarterly outlook with Swissquote that we will be publishing in a few days from now, where we talk about the major and the most interesting talking points of the moment, where the money is being flowing right now and where are the opportunities in the market moving forward in the next quarter. So make sure you stay tuned. And other than that, well, yesterday was a slow day, as I said, the European markets were mostly flat. The stock 600 index remained close to its 50-day moving average, kind of waiting for a fresh direction to come up, while the FTSE 100 index in the UK remained offered near its 200-day moving average. That stands near the 7544p level. Now, the FTSE 100 has been one of the biggest, biggest laggers of this year so far because capital simply flew into the technology stocks and the FTSE 100 is quite poor in technology stocks but it's rather heavy in financials in energy and in commodity stocks so obviously the slower than expected Chinese reopening all the disappointment on the Chinese front and the crumbling commodity prices as a result of it didn't really help FTSE 100 in the UK extend the last year's outperformance to this year or at least so far happily though more interest rate hikes from the Bank of England and the darkening economic and the darkening political picture for the UK are not a big cause for concern for the British blue chip index for the biggest British stocks because they actually make a major, major part of their revenue from outside the UK and they're actually more shaken by global headwinds than the Brits' internal affairs. So one positive factor or one positive view is that because the rally that we saw in AI this year went just so far, investors now could rotate their portfolios toward more value names and that rotation from growth to value could actually throw a floor under the FTSE 100 sell-off near the 7300 level if, of course, we don't see a global global sell-off due to a global recession and these hawkish central banks. Now, looking at oil prices, the barrel of oil remains sold near the 50-day moving average as OPEC meeting with industry heads is due today. And while everything, everything that involves OPEC right now is an upside risk to oil prices. But I'm still pretty much convinced that any OPEC-led rally that you might see in the next few hours will attract top-selling opportunities, the top sellers, and won't let OPEC reach stability in this market, whereas I think the barrel of oil is pretty stable around the $70 per barrel level, but Saudi Arabia wants it stable at and above the $80 per barrel level in order to finance its government project. So they will continue pushing for higher oil prices. And only a major risk here at this point, in my opinion, is that the unresponsive price action from oil markets could actually hide a worsening global glut in oil. And that could actually hit suddenly and send oil prices higher later this year. But until then, bears will keep selling. Now, coming back to my central bank story, the Federal Reserve will release its minutes of its latest monetary 
monetary policy meeting today and well there will clearly clearly be a couple of hawkish hawkish sentences that will hit the headlines throughout today and a bit later for us in Europe given that the Federal Reserve officials posed their interest rate hikes in their June monetary policy meeting but 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 their dot plot actually showed two more interest rate hikes this year before a real and a longer pose to the policy tightening and at this point well the Federal Reserve expectations went just hawkish enough that I don't see them getting more hawkish or much more hawkish from the actual levels because the Fed funds futures now gives around 90% chance for another 25 basis point interest rate hike in July and another 25 basis points hike after that is more likely than not at this point so no one really expects or is positioned for a rate cut from the Fed this year whatsoever anymore and unless there is another banking stress or mini banking stress or eventual chaos in the US housing market it looks like nothing could and nothing will stop the Federal Reserve from pursing its battle against inflation to pull it lower to the 2% target. And interestingly, while well, Bloomberg research found out that interest rate increases in the US, so it's important this is in the US, are benefiting savers more than they are costing to mortgage payers, according to their study, because many mortgages in the US are on fixed rates for 30 years, I mean, say, for life, and they have yet to expire. Now, note that. I said in the US because that's not the case elsewhere in the world. In Europe, well, we're doing quite fine. It's okay-ish, but the UK and Hong Kong and other Commonwealth countries, including Canada, Australia and New Zealand. So these places are under a bigger pressure and they're most vulnerable to the cracks that we might see in the housing market. Why? Because the share of houses that people in these countries built on mortgages, on shorter term fixed rates or on variable rates are higher. So when the rates go higher, well, they're in trouble. In New Zealand, for example, house prices fell the most in eight months in June and they are now down by more than 10% since a year earlier. So we are obviously far from a dream scenario in the Commonwealth countries. The event risk remains high, but again, a bad road accident seems the only thing that could stop the Fed from stepping back from its aggressive tightening. And I'm not sure that a bad event elsewhere in the world will make the Fed stop. Now, interestingly, the US dollar index remains broadly unresponsive to the Federal Reserve hawkishness of these days, but the greenback could perform better against the Aussie, the Kiwi, Sterling and the Looney in the second half of this year. And that's simply because the central banks of all of these countries well, will have to you know, sit down at some point and think of broader economic implications of an eventual full blast housing crisis in their countries. So this is why I expect the Aussie dollar to potentially return to its yearly negative trend after the June rebound that we saw on hawkish RBA action. And the Kiwi dollar remained capped into the 63 cents level because, well, history simply shows that going back to the 1990s Japan, where the Bank of Japan used to raise the interest rate. So the Bank of Japan raised its interest rates to halt the housing bubble in Japan, and which then triggered a real estate crisis in the country, while the implications, the economic implications were a long and a dark tunnel of 
asset devaluation, reduced consumer spending that lasted quite a long time, bankruptcies, a weakened banking sector, deflation, and long-term economic stagnation. So that's certainly why Japan, I mean, the Bank of Japan prefers just letting inflation run hot in Japan rather than hiking its interest rates aggressively as the others do and send the country to another and a very, very sticky really sticky deflationary phase yet again. And while speaking of Japan, while the rally in dollar yen remains capped at the 145 psychological level this time, as the only direction that the Bank of Japan could take from the actual levels, from where it is actually, is a hawkish path. So turning long the Japanese yen will, at some point in the foreseeable future, become a star trade. But the key here is obviously getting the timing right, and it all, all depends on a green light from the Bank of Japan. Now, a green light from the Bank of Japan for higher interest rate hikes and policy normalization, and an eventually stronger Japanese yen as a result of it should also trigger a parallel correction in the Japanese stocks, which hit a 33-year high this year, and that was obviously on the back of a softer yen and a undisputably more dovish BOJ than the others. But that's only one part of the story, because Japan benefits greatly from the US-China tensions of the moment, and especially the US-China chip war, so Japanese companies will likely continue to attract international funds and make Japan's next decade look probably much better than its last. So this is all for today. I'm Ipe Kardeshkaya and thank you for joining me and thank you for all your beautiful and supportive and interesting messages. I hope this episode of Market Talk has also been helpful and it has been insightful to you. So please do not hesitate to leave your comments, your reactions and your questions below as usual. And follow us on Instagram, on Twitter and on LinkedIn for regular market updates and subscribe of course to our youtube channel for daily market comments i will meet you again tomorrow and until then good day trading